The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Eleven Madison Park is a New York City fine dining restaurant. When it reopens after the COVID shutdowns, you can enjoy a tasting menu for $335 per person. And it will be vegan because with the exception of cow's milk and honey in their signature coffee drink, 11 Madison Park is going plant-based, only the second restaurant with three Michelin stars to do this. The other is in Beijing. So, okay, it might not be a runaway train, but It's a really, really good sign. Now, certainly with that price, somebody else is going to have to tell me how delicious the food is. But, oh, my gosh, we are making inroads from fast food to $400 tasting menus. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran host of the Main Street Vegan Program, and as ever, absolutely thrilled to pieces that you are with us today. After the break, we're going to be making a lot of people happy because after she was on before, I had so many people writing in saying, bring back Gwenna Hunter. We want to hear more about Gwenna Hunter because she has such an interesting way of infusing her social justice work in the world with her spirituality. So Gwenna Hunter, uh, founder of Vegans of LA and Vegans for Black Lives Matter will join us after the break. And right now, I am absolutely thrilled to be introducing for his first time on the program, Kartike Telreja, who is a who's a certified Ayurvedic nutritionist and digestive health and lifestyle coach. He's based in LA and his endeavor is to make people eat wholesome, nourishing, plant-based food that is in sync with their natural constitution, nature's rhythms and seasons to enhance well-being and promote healing. Welcome, Kartike. Thank you, Victoria. Well, Thank you, it's so exciting to have you because people who listen to this program regularly know that in addition to being a vegan, I am a complete 
devotee of Ayurveda. I believe that that wisdom goes so deep and can be so helpful. And I love your specialty, digestive health, because that seems to be what troubles the most people and and starts the earliest in life. So give us a little bit of history. How did you get into this profession? Um, more than a, more than a, a decade ago, I I met and I met a master of of traditional medicine. He was a he was an Ayurvedic physician, and uh, there was uh, a family friend of mine who was suffering from cancer, and uh, this man was requested to you know to help him. And I you know it was um, it was by you know the very pleasant acts of God that I actually met him and it, it was from that time that my journey into self-healing as well as healing others began. I love it. And and I love how you, how you call it an act of God because uh, I kind of think that way too. So my regular listeners are familiar with the basics of Ayurveda. We have a lovely Ayurvedic um, practitioner who comes on at the changes of the seasons to kind of help people be more seasonally uh, in tune. But for those who are unfamiliar, can you just give us a little introductory idea of Ayurveda and then tell us a little bit about what makes your practice unique? What Ayurveda? Ayurveda is a combination of two words, Ayu and Veda. So the word Ayu and Ayur actually means life. And the word Veda actually means knowledge. So in combination, it actually means the knowledge of life or the, or the knowledge of longevity. The history of Ayurveda goes beyond almost 5,000 years. Right? It is only after the writing of the classical texts that we, uh, we have an estimation as to how old it is, but, but no one can say how old Ayurveda is. In fact, I, would, I, I will say that um, the history of Ayurveda goes back as far as, as the, the evolution of, of mankind, right? and especially our understanding of it. So Ayurveda actually understands nature, tries to understand nature, the wisdom of nature, and encourages us to live by the seasons uh, to live by the seasons, to align our lives according to nature's wisdom for, for good health, for optimal health. They believe that, uh, you know, th there are these uh, five elements and ether, fire, air, water. And, you know, they, they try and the Ayurvedic wisdom helps us understand how these elements work. And Ayurvedic, also, Ayurvedic wisdom also guides us uh, through the through the understanding of polarities, right? For example, if it is summertime coming up in the next few weeks, so the law of polarity will say that it is better that you eat cooling foods, so that you know this is how you balance your life and maintain harmony. It makes sense. Now, I know that generally speaking, certainly with any Ayurvedic uh, physicians and counselors that I've worked with, vegetarianism is, is pretty well accepted. But there's a lot of ghee, there's some dairy, and I know that you are fully plant-based. So tell us about that. See, there's a very beautiful, beautiful quote in Ayurveda which says, the body is the result of food. Disease is the result of food. The difference between ease and dis-ease is the intake of wholesome nutrition 
or the lack of it. Now, this principle was, is, and will always be valid. But the whole, you know, what we need to understand is, is it valid now keeping in mind the source of where a lot of our food stuff is coming from, right? You know, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, we never had industrial farming. We never had, you know, uh, cows who were living in sheds all their lives. Things have, cha things have changed. So we need to readapt to what it is today based on Ayurvedic principles. I think it looks, it, it, it works really well, right? In fact, there are so many of, of, of my, my female patients who are in their fertile years. And um, the moment I help them align themselves, their lifestyle, their diet, and the moment I tell them to stop dairy and dairy products, animal products, it's, uh, I'm so grateful to the universe that most of them, if they have, if they, if they have issues with their monthly cycles, it all starts getting better and better and better. All the cramps go away, all the, you know, the cycles get regular. So, I mean, I, I see it in my, in my daily life, right? And so that, yeah. I, I, I see that so metaphysically as well as physically that the way that, that we use cows and calves and separate them and, and, you know, take milk that isn't supposed to be ours it just makes so much sense that when somebody stops doing that, their own reproductive functions would seem to work better. So, I, yes, go ahead. Let me let me share something with you. Um, a few years ago, uh, a cousin of mine who was who had a little infant and she was breastfeeding, feeding the baby. She came to my home to 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 stay over, and she was she's from another city. And in the in the evening, sometimes she just went out and she had uh, you know some some really pungent snacks and things like that. And she came home and she fed the baby. And in about twenty minutes, the baby had a bout of diarrhea. So the first question my mother asked her was, "What did you eat outside?" And she said uh, she told my mother that uh, she had something very very pungent street food. And my mother was upset. She's like, you know, when you're breastfeeding the child, you cannot be eating things that are pungent. Now, why I'm sharing this, this anecdote with you, that imagine, imagine that if a mother's breastfeeding her baby and if she's had pungent foods and, it, and the baby got a reaction because of that, imagine if the cow is not in good health or mental you know, health or if the cow's being given hormones all the time, we are drinking that milk or milk products made from that milk day in and day out. Won't that make a difference in our lives and in our health? One would absolutely think so. So I'm speaking with Kartike Talreja of Yoga of Eating. You can find his website, yogaofeating.org. Now, your emphasis is digestive health. I know digestion is very important in all of Ayurveda. And what do you see? What kinds of problems do people come to you with? And what are some general overall suggestions for just helping people deal better with the food they eat? Ayurveda believes that most problems or most health problems begin with imbalances in the digestive system. Right? So when people come to me, I, I do a, a monthly 
right? So I mentor people, I handhold people month after month as as long as they they need me and as long as you know and it's my goal to take every client of mine to a state of optimal health so once they come to me i analyze their lifestyle i analyze their food i i analyze what time do they sleep what they eat how they eat are they chewing their food properly are they you know are they watching netflix while eating so i i i do a lot of an analysis because I mentor them uh, month after month, right? So I, that gives me a good amount of time to understand my client. There's a lot of times when people have uh, a lot of anger issues, a lot of uh, issues re related to their emotional health. So, you know, I really guide them how to pacify things using the wisdom of Ayurveda to, to essentially get harmony in their lives, to get harmony, yeah, to get harmony in their lives so that I help them. I help them basically align. I help them align their lives, their diet to nature's wisdom, and uh, so far the results have been very, very good. Oh, that's wonderful. So, how does Ayurveda, and we're talking about plant-based Ayurveda, the way that you practice it, how does that differ from just the kinds of of good dietary plant-based advice people would get outside of Ayurveda? Now, the thing is that, uh, for example, how I align people to seasons. So I align people to seasons is that, you know, suppose if there's like summertime coming in, some of my clients, you know, if they have some time in the afternoons, they go out for an afternoon run. Right? So afternoon run in the month of July or late June, where the weather is very warm, right? it actually aggravates the heat inside their systems. Now, that can also aggravate their digestion and then... So, so these are the ways I actually help people uh, adjust their lifestyles. As far as their food goes, I need to analyze what their constitution is. And suppose if, if by default they are of, uh, they have an excess or they have, a, they have the dominating dosha or the dominating constitution of the fire element that's called pitta in Ayurveda, I, I tell them that, you know, you must completely stop the usage of pungent foods. Right? Because pungent foods, especially red chilies, jalapeno peppers, all most kind of, of peppers, they generate heat inside the system. Right. So in any case, summers are warm. And on top of that, if they start eating, you know, sauces and they add, uh, you know, you know, very spicy food and spicy sauces to their diet, it only aggravates their system. So, you know, one needs to see what the person's constitution is. One needs to see what the season is, what the local weather is like. And accordingly, I help people. I, I guide people. I educate them to listen to their, to their bodies, to be more sensitive to themselves. And once they start aligning to, the, to nature, they themselves, you know, they are more sensitive to what their body is signaling to them. So that's what my major aim and objective is. So, um, over and above this, like for example, there are people who are very fond of ice creams and say cold foods. Now, if they keep eating all this, even during the fall or the winter, right? I mean, fall and, and the winter, like uh, these things aggravate, they can aggravate, you know, congestion inside their systems. They can aggravate the formation of mucus. Now, for example, in Los Angeles or even in, in, in New York, uh, you, you live in New York, like we have, watermelons coming in from Ecuador throughout the year. 
Now, watermelons are a great fruit for the summer, but they are highly not recommended during the winter season. Those watermelons grow in Ecuador. They are not meant to be eaten in North America in, in, in the height of winter. And if you do, that will aggravate, aggravate certain issues that perhaps you're facing already, or that may give birth to certain issues like congestion, as I said, congestion and, and, and a runny nose and, and, and other imbalances. So that is how, um, that is what I do. That is, that is, that is what I do that is, that is different. I align people, I help them eat a whole plant-based diet based on the season, based on their constitution. And I just can't think of anything better than that. So I know that Ayurveda says that we should eat fresh food, that not processed food, but also not even leftovers. And so many people are so busy that the idea of having to prepare three meals a day from scratch just seems overwhelming. Can you help us out on that? Of course. See, um, I do all my cooking myself. In fact, yeah, I do all my cooking myself. The game is to to understand how to cook simple meals. You can also make the help. You can also take the help of a slow cooker. You can eat, uh, you know, simple simple meals. I mean, Ayurveda. If you really want to, the first step in Ayurveda is that make your life simple, make your food simple. And there are so many dishes out there. Like, for example, I'll, I'll give you a very quick tip of one of my favorite soups. So you can, uh, you know, you can take uh, fresh, seasonally available vegetables, like say kale or carrots or, you know, certain, certain vegetables that are available now. And then you, you boil them and then you, you blend them in a blender and you just add an avocado and you add some spices. I mean, this tastes, these, you know, it's a very simple soup. It's absolutely delicious. It's, it's, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's very nourishing and it's an absolute delight and it's a quick fix. So uh, see, and I, and you see as, as a healer, there are many people who are not, I understand that a lot of people may not know how to cook, right? They, they may not have the time to cook. So I really help them, uh, what do you say? I mentor them so that with, you know, simple, easy to make recipe that they can do in a jiffy. And uh, you see, there is, um, there is no alternative to a freshly cooked meal. So, you know, and, and I go where my client is in their journey at this moment in time. Things take time, Trans, you know, and, and I understand that, that um, uh, for people to transit, it takes time. But as long as the intention is there, a lot of things are possible. And in due course of time, everything. That's so lovely. And, and you're expressing what I really revere about Ayurveda, about the yoga tradition. The people who are really imbued in it have this beautiful calmness and this kind of all pervasive love that, that you can really feel even uh, on a Skype call from long distances. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Ayurveda in the country of its origin. We've all been reading very, very sad and, and disturbing reports of, of the ravages of COVID-19 in India. I'm just wondering, is Ayurveda 
prevalent? Are these kinds of additional helps in India where people can get them? Or is it kind of something that only some people have access to? The beauty is that in its country of, uh, we imbibe Ayurveda a lot in our daily lives, right? Uh, our food, a lot of our food is, is made with Ayurvedic principles by default, right? So Indian food, a lot of our, our dishes and our meals have all six tastes in them. So if you talk about, say, even, even turmeric, so turmeric is, is dry, it is, sorry, it is, it is bitter, it is astringent. And then, you know, you, you know, you talk about rice. So that is sweet in taste according to Ayurveda. So there's a lot of Ayurvedic principles that we imbibe in our life. The difference between today and 70 years ago is, you see, technology has changed a lot of things. Once upon a time, you see, you, uh, yeah, technology has changed a lot of things. Uh, many years ago came in the Green Revolution. It, it did increase a lot of food production in India, but you, you, if, if I tell you something, you won't believe me. We almost had 100,000 varieties of rice alone in India, about maybe about 60 to 80 years ago. Today, we have 3,000 varieties of rice. And when women are pregnant in certain areas of India, till today, there's rice that is fed only to women who are pregnant. There's rice that is very, very good for people who have diabetes. But this is, you know, so a lot of us, well, as a culture, we adapted. We can't even say adapted to it. It was part of what is called cultural wisdom. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a very wise man who told me that if mankind has, mankind has survived, it is not because of the intelligence of the current generation. It is because of cultural wisdom. But things have changed, right? We never had processed food. I mean, the world never had, you know, processed food, the kind of, you know, the availability of it today. There was hardly any processed food even about 50 years ago, 70 years ago, at least in this part of the world. So unfortunately, you know, the more uh, modern we are getting, uh, the more consequences of it we are facing. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that that's true all over the world. Well, it, it's such an amazing gift for for the whole global uh, humanity that that we know about Ayurveda now. Now, I know in your practice, you you also use aromatherapy and flower essences. So for people who are unfamiliar with those, explain them and tell us how we can use them. Aromatherapy is a very, very, uh, you know, I'm sure it's a very familiar word. It is about taking the essences of plants, uh, which are ero aromatic and concentrating them, they are concentrated in, in, in a liquid form. And uh, aroma and, and smell has a very deep impact or may have a very deep impact on our emotions. A lot of times I've realized that, well, a lot of times I have realized, and that is the truth, that many a times either the mind affects the body or the body affects the mind or both affect each other. So there are a lot of times that my clients come to me and uh, there's a problem with the, with the digestive system. And then I realized that, you know, once I dig deeper, I realized that there is a problem with, they have had a, you know, they still hold grudges and anger in many of their relationships. And this is the problem of, you know, this is the reason they have this, this problem that, you know, of, you know, whatever digestive problem that they have 
that keeps popping up or cropping up occasionally. So how do you, uh, what do you say? How do you support them? So you support them through aromatherapy. Right now, you know, there are so many female clients that I, I've had. And there's one thing who have had a lot of issues around constipation. And there's, you know, apart from certain habits that, that uh, you know, were not in sync with nature, there is one thing that I realized in all of them, that there was a problem with the relationship, you know, in their childhood with their mother. They didn't think they didn't get, they thought, you know, they didn't get, you know, enough motherly love. I mean, you know, it's, 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 and then how do you fix it? Now, I am, I am not uh, a psychologist, right? But, but these are certain patterns that I observe. Whatever is in my scope, I do rest. Of course, you know, I always guide people that you need additional help and additional therapy. But whatever is in my scope, including aromatherapy, I tell them that these are the oils that you can use and that will help you at least make the transition because, uh, you know, it's, it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about one's own relationship with one's own self. And you need to heal that. So and I, yes, ma'am, please go on. What are some of your favorite oils for people with digestive difficulties? Oh, okay, uh, there is no standard oil. But in fact, all oils can be used for digestive difficulties, but topical application. Now, for example, I am in love with rose. I am in love with geranium. They are very, very love-inducing, calming oils that will aid a person forgive his own self. If he needs to forgive his own self and he desires to forgive his own self or forgive the, the other person, whoever you know, he's, and he or she has had a problematic relationship with. So then peppermint is, 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 is really nice. I mean, it's, it's um, uh, there are so many, I mean, people who feel very ungrounded. Betty Ware is absolutely beautiful. So there's I, roles that, that, sorry. Yes, ma'am. No, I just, I love how you think and, and how you say, you know, you're in love with some of these oils and, and how they're, they're beautiful. So I realize you are based in Los Angeles, but you work with people everywhere uh, via uh, Zoom and other um, platforms, I presume? Victoria, it's the new normal, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it does give you a beautiful reach to people who couldn't find you otherwise. This time has gone so, so quickly. We'll have to do this again. So everybody, this is Kartike Talreja. You can find him at yogaofeating.org or on Facebook and Instagram at Yoga of Eating. And we'll put all that information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. And just wishing you the most blessed uh, day <laughs> and, and life and looking forward to having you back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
everybody. What a pleasure to be spending this time with you. A couple of announcements before we move on to our next guest. Uh, if you have not stopped in at the website MainStreetVegan.net, oh, please do that. You'll find our show notes there with all the URLs and ways to reach both of our guests today and find out more about what they are doing. And we also have a blog over there. This week, I wrote it myself. It's called OMG, I Have a Simpler Life. I just figured that through the pandemic and everything, all the simplicity that I had once yearned for, I have it. And some of it I want to keep and some of it I'm ready to complicate again. Maybe uh, you'll relate to that. And you can also, of course, at uh, MainStreetVegan.net, find out all about Main Street Vegan Academy so you can train as a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. Our next Zoom class starts in August of uh, 2021. We'd love to have you. And also a shout out to the Compassion Consortium, CompassionConsortium.org. This is a spiritual center online only for now on Zoom for people who care about all living beings. So we have a lovely celebratory interfaith interspiritual worship service on the fourth Sunday of every month, four o'clock um, Eastern time. You can find out information at CompassionConsortium.org. Uh, we also have a book and film club. Our first um, book that we're going to be looking at there is uh, Green Faith by Reverend Fletcher Harper. All the information is on the website, but I will give you a little thumbs up or heads up, I guess is the phrase, that my wonderful guest, uh, Gwenna Hunter, is going to be the special guest presenter for the Compassion Consortium the fourth Sunday of May, 2021. So Gwenna Hunter is so cool. I just love this woman. She became vegan in 2016 after having a supernatural connection with a cow. And do you think I'm going to ask her about that? Yes. And she is founder of Vegans of LA and Vegans for Black Lives Matter. Welcome, Gwenna. Hey, that was a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're a great person. So tell us, I don't think you told us the supernatural cow story last time. Do tell. Okay. So, yeah, this was my introduction into uh, the veganism journey. So I'm someone that always has dreams, and I have no problem using them to guide me, and I pay attention to them. I never look at them as just figments of my imagination. I always feel like there's a message. So this particular day, in the dream, I'm flying in the sky like we do, and uh, I see this really beautiful, bright green pasture. And in the pasture was this cow, and she was beautiful. And she looked up at me while I was flying in the sky, and then all of a sudden our eyes connected and we merged and became one, and I was the cow. And I felt like her whole life. And so I felt love, sorrow, joy, like full gamut of emotions. Um, I felt her love for her children, uh, her mating, her love for humanity. Um, I felt everything, like every single thing. And 
after I had that experience, because it was like flashes of like memories of her own life, uh, when I came out of the dream, I was like hysterical and I was crying because I've always been on like a spiritual journey and a, a truth seeker. And I'm like, all this time, I never even considered that a cow loves or even has the ability to love. And I was kind of mad at myself that I'm like, why did I never even consider that a cow has the ability to love? Of course, they have children. And so I was thinking, I'm like, this really just happened? Did I eat something weird? Like, as much as of a believer I am, I'm also equally a skeptic, <laughs> even of my own experiences. And while I'm laying in bed, um, I physically felt a warm uh, like a like a warmth over my chest on the right part. Yeah, over, was it my right chest? My left, on the left side of my chest. And I looked, I didn't see anything, so I put my hand there, and when I touched it, I felt like the most gentle, soft, profound <laughs> uh, sense of peace I had ever felt. Like it was just complete, absolute peace. And And I was awake when it happened. So it wasn't like I was dreaming or in an in-between state. I was fully awake. And so I knew that the experience was real. And I felt like maybe she gave me a piece of her heart or something just to let me know, you know, you really did have this experience. And so my mind was blown because at the time I was a vegetarian and it had nothing to do with animals. I didn't care if you ate a steak. Um, I just wasn't going to eat one because I couldn't digest them. But if you wanted to eat one, I had no problems with it. So after I learned that, I was just like, oh, my God, like, they are conscious and we're eating their body parts. They come to this planet just like us, wanting to, you know, live a regular life, and we are eating them. And um, maybe about a couple weeks later, I came across the video, Darius Effing Scary by Aaron Janice, and I saw how we get their milk how we make cheese and what we do to their bodies and how we take their children. And literally what I saw was slavery. Uh, I saw rape. I saw kidnapping and I saw murder. And I saw it just as clear as day. Like there was nothing murky or cloudy about what I saw. And so from that point on, I was like, I will never touch dairy or anything again. And I went vegan. So my reasons became, you know, starting off with, completely spiritual and and moral. Wow. And I find it so fascinating that even before you knew this stuff, you couldn't digest meat, that your body was telling you, this is just not for you. You don't know why yet. Exactly. I'm telling you, I I feel like I was destined to to be a part of this because I've never been a part of a movement ever. So, yeah, it started with, like, cows. Like, it, I would get, like, these really bad – it was like my body would turn on me every time I ate what, at the time, I called red meat. And the doctors thought that I had an ulcer, and then that didn't work, the medicine they gave me. Then they said I had kidney stones, and that wasn't it, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and I ended up diagnosing myself. I'm like, wait a minute, these, these attacks on my body only happen when I eat a cow. And so when I stopped eating cows, I stopped having the attacks. Um, And that's what led me on the road to vegetarianism. But again, like I said, it had nothing to do with love or (laughs) compassion. It was just, you know, for the sake of not having my body turn on me. 
Right. So have you had other animal dreams? I could just ask you to tell your dreams <laughs> all day. <laughs> yeah, I had a, the best one I've ever had uh, was, was an octopus. And um, in this particular dream, um, I, well, what happened the day before I was, I was living in Florida at the time and I went to some type of cultural market. I don't remember if it was like a Jamaican market, but it was some type of cultural market with a friend. And there was like an octopus behind the meat counter and, you know, for sale, like it was already dead. And I was just like, and I was like, oh, that's so gross. Who would eat that? And then I said, and this is years ago, and I'm like, why would God make an octopus? They're so ugly. What what do what purpose do they have on this planet? Why would God make an octopus? And and at the time, I was kind of going through like an awakening. So the next morning, I had a dream, and in the dream, um, I felt like I was like in Egypt, and um, I was in this beautiful hall, and I was following this woman who was dressed in white, and when she turned around, it was me. But it was like a goddess version of myself. Um, just perfect beauty, perfect kindness, perfect love, and the communication was all telepathic. And she was telling me to just follow her. So I'm following her, and I'm just in love with her. I'm looking at her, I'm like, oh, my God, you're so perfect. And so she leads me to, like, this really large, like, Olympic-sized pool. And she's telling me to get in the water. And I'm thinking, why? And she's like, just trust me. So I look, and all of a sudden, an octopus slowly emerges. But this octopus was, like, the size of, like, a building. Like, this octopus was huge, and I was terrified. I'm like, oh, no, she's trying to kill me. (laughs) And... She looks at me, and again, telepathically, she says, it's okay. He just wants to get near you. And so the Mm -hmm. octopus looks at me, and I could tell that the octopus knew me. And I'm like, how does this octopus know me? So I'm terrified, and I get in the water, and then the octopus has like a thousand tentacles and opens up its tentacles and then wraps them around me. And then when it does, I felt the most intense form of like ecstasy it was like love like times a a billion like I felt like if I would have stayed in that dream any second longer I would have died from feeling too good like if that makes any sense and when I felt the feeling like I could I had like a supernatural ability to see everything and I was like levitating I saw colors I had never seen before. Um, I was just floating and just, like, paralyzed with, like, this most extreme love I've ever felt in my life. I felt loved. I felt wanted. I felt it felt unconditional. And when I came out of the dream, um, obviously I was crying because I was like, what was that? And I still felt it on me. It wasn't as strong, but it was like, tingles. If tingles had a physical sensation, that's what it was. I felt tingles all over my body and it lasted for like two days. I was like in this state of like rebirth and joy. And um, what ended up happening after like the couple of days when it wore off, I was like, this was like years ago, I was making bargains. I was like, God, if you give me that feeling, like every day I'll stop doing this and I won't do that. <laughs> I'll cut everything wow. out if you let me. 
<laughs> so have you seen that documentary? Well, I guess, it's, yeah, it's a documentary, My Octopus Teacher. No, but somebody just recently told me to watch it. Oh, you must. And everybody, listeners, this is the most exquisite film where a man befriends an octopus. He, he's a diver. He meets this octopus. And it's really the story of a friendship and of the life cycle of another being and the level of intelligence and a purpose. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite something. Wow. Well, I'm about ready to go to sleep because I want to start having dreams like that. But in the waking <laughs> world, you also have a lot going on. Now, there's something here new I see on the form you sent me, the Planetary Awakening Project. What's that? So that's um, going to be my um, nonprofit. And I, I was been working on, like, coming up with a nonprofit, but it was kind of centered at first, like, around food. And I'm like, well, I got other things that I want to work on when it comes to, like, coming up with solutions to help, you know, make the planet better. So I thought of a name that could grow with me as I evolve because I'm getting more into, like, learning about climate um, solutions and what's going on with with that and my mind is just being blown of all the corruption going on on the planet but basically what the first project of the planetary awakening project is i'm going to take stories like the like the two i just told you and have them animated um as a way to do a, a form of like video outreach because i know that videos and storytelling um is very compelling to people and storytelling can have a really profound effect on people, especially if it's accompanied with something really visually um, beautiful. So um, I'm going to be working with some animators to start off um, and animate those two stories. And then the goal is to, um, by invitation, uh, reach out to other people that have unique stories on why they went vegan or what's going on in their life with their vegan journey, something significant. And also just stories, too, about um, the planet and solutions and things that people have experienced. So these will be animations that will be between, like, one to three minutes. Um, and hopefully it will help change people's lives. Well, I'm sure it will. And you're also doing climate change reality leadership training. Yes, Tell us I about just that. finished it. Yeah, so that's the nonprofit uh, through Al Gore, and um, it was a week-long training um, session, and I just finished it, and it was mind-blowing. Like, you know all about, you know, as vegans, we know about, you know, animal agriculture and uh, what's going on with that and, and what we do to the animals and everything, but with the climate stuff, like, maybe I'm just not – well versed but I was just my mouth was open constantly just looking at how the weather patterns are changing um, the things that are going on with like in in different neighborhoods you know how they dump jet fuel in neighborhoods how they dump tires how they put uh, toxic waste and materials in certain zip codes and how people just you know they're they're trying to get these things changed how they contaminate our water and nothing gets done, and it's just, like, so much work to be done on planet Earth, like, so much work. And so I want to try to 
get involved to try to get to the people at the top, the ones that have the 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 true political power to stop some of this stuff. And you know, it's 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 scary. Like the first three days, I was like horrified. But then the last bit of the training was talking, you know, bringing people in about solutions and things and, and successes and wins. And so it gave me hope again. So, yeah, I want to get more on that side of it. And with the climate, with these organizations, there's not a lot of conversation about um, changing your diet. So I'm hoping that I could have some type of influence um, there as well. Mm, and I'm, I'm sure that you will. There, there's just so much. I think that, you know, I don't think much about the word sin, but I think there is one now, and it is boredom. Like you said, there is so much to do that if I'm just like yeah. ho-hum, I'm <laughs> just lying around with nothing to do, that's a sin because there's a lot to do. So you have but this you wonderful... That too, hmm? That's what I'm doing today. I'm lying around doing ho-hum because I've been doing so much work that if I don't do a ho-hum day or a few days of that, then I won't be any good at all. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that called ex exertion exhaustion, that if we can somehow yeah. learn to pace ourselves, then we can just kind of keep it up without the, you know, super sweep and then, oh, my God, I can't do anything. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> Which is boy. what I do. And I got to that. <laughs> you, you are so good at taking your, your inner impetus your your spiritual uh, messages and then translating them out into social justice and activism work so what has your experience been like managing and it's interesting when you sent me some notes here you talked about managing the vegans for life black lives matter facebook group and i think that's such an interesting word managing for somebody with a personality and spiritual leanings like you have. So how has it been managing that group? Well, it's the emotional output at times, especially in the beginning when I first got the, got the group. And the, the group came as I don't like having groups because it takes a lot of uh, emotional output and energy to um, make sure that there's topics and make sure that you're creating conversations and getting people to engage and that you're growing it. That was just something I didn't want on my plate. I'm like, I have enough that the last thing I want to do is be involved with a, a group that I'm in, responsible for. But it was literally a divine pain that said, create this group. And I'm like, all right, like I'll do it. And um, in the beginning, um, it, the group, uh, how do I, I got physically sick from it in the first week because it was right off the heels of George Floyd. So everybody, like the emotions and the energy was so high and I'm a very empathic person. So there was a lot of white guilt, a lot of white people that were coming in and expressing how guilty they felt and how they had known that this was going on and how sorry. So I was absorbing that reading the comments. There were a lot of black people that were angry and that were people were just taking out their anger on each other. And so I'm, I'm reading these posts, reading the comments, and literally one day I could barely even get out of bed because I could feel all the everybody's trauma was like in my body. And so I had to learn how to manage <laughs> that type of situation. People were in my inbox um, 
you know, talking to me or mad because of the group or mad because someone yelled at them in the group. And it was like, that's why I use the word manage because even to this day, the inbox messages that I get from people are just crazy. Um, it's like you got to be a little bit of a therapist and a little bit of people's friend. And, you know, I'm someone I have a hard time holding space for a long time for people because I can feel so much. So it's like I'll talk to you for a second and then I, I want to let it go because I don't want to absorb you. So, um, yeah, and I'm still in that lesson. I haven't really mastered much other than, <laughs> other than uh, keeping up some boundaries. Well, you do an amazing job. It, it's a terrific group, and I would really uh, encourage anybody who's vegan, leading towards veganism, and and who certainly believes that Black Lives Matter to uh, take a look at that page and and join. So, and you do other stuff. You know, people tell me that they think I juggle a lot, and I think when you're in your own life, you don't realize how much it is, and then you look at somebody else's from the outside, and it's like. Where do they find the hours in the day? So you're working with, or you recently were working with Vegan Outreach and also Health Save. What do you do with those folks? Yeah, so I work for Vegan Outreach. Um, I'm a project leader and vegan food aid coordinator. So we provide um, plant-based groceries and produce uh, for different nonprofit organizations that are already out there doing the work for their communities. So we, uh, with Black Lives Matter, during their month, their general monthly meeting, we'll provide up to 150 um, bags, well, now boxes of, like, produce with some groceries, plant-based products in them. And we'll also uh, provide hot meals for their meetings. And it's a good way to introduce people to different, like, vegan vendors and different products that they wouldn't have tried. Um, and that's been going really well. We also work with Black Women for Wellness. Um, they're an amazing community that is about the preservation of black health, uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. They cover it all. And we work with them twice a month. Uh, we just picked up the LGBT Center um, on MLK Drive in Los Angeles. We work with them twice a month. And then Black Women Farmers of Los Angeles. Um, so at first it was a pivot because of, of the pandemic. So we were looking for other ways to create solutions for different communities. But now it's just about, because most of these communities are in areas where there's not a lot of organic, fresh produce. There may be like a supermarket, but they may not have organic options. And it's also, you know, helping people out financially as well. So. Um, I do that for vegan outreach and also with, uh, it's through the Animal Save movement, but I work for the division called the Health Save. Well, you're doing yeah, a lot. Me. Do you have any non-human beings in your orbit that help you? Any non-humans? Well, I have, uh, well, do you mean like do I have any furry ones? Or are you talking yes, about, furry like, ones or feathered oh. ones or swimming okay. ones. <laughs> Yes, my my baby China. Um, so she comes from the cat species, and um, she's absolutely amazing. She's. I always tell people like I felt like I could have carried her in my stomach for nine months and and birthed her. Like that is my baby. Like it's. I never knew I could love an animal, um, and it's weird because sometimes I don't even know if I want to call her an animal because she's like evolving so much like she'll come in my dreams sometimes and tell me things if I'm not getting it (laughs) 
and um, she'll send me like little messages sometimes. But yeah, she's a just a a cat angel. <laughs> oh, that's and, so uh, beautiful. When when I've had cats in in my past and. One of them, Benjamin, oh my gosh, he was amazing. And in the days before we had any kind of Zoom or, um, you know, voice calls or anything like that, I was just on a regular phone interviewing an animal communicator for an article for the old New Age Journal. And Benjamin jumped up on my lap. And this woman was like somewhere far away on a phone. And she said, oh, that cat's an old soul and a healer. <laughs> and he was. Wow. And then when he passed away, bless his heart, my lovely friend Suzanne sent me this beautiful, it was like around Christmas time, topper for a Christmas tree that is a cat angel. And that's been over 20 years ago. But every Christmas, my kitty angel <laughs> is, is up there. Yeah, they come yeah, here they're... with a purpose too. Like just like we come here with our purposes and our plans, like they come here too. Like they have the same ability. Yes, and if we can really think of them as individuals, and something that I'm getting because I'm doing some in-depth study in yoga philosophy right now, everybody is the divine in expression. Yeah. And if we could get that for 10 seconds, the whole world would change. Gwenna oh Hunter, God. you've gotten it for way more than 10 seconds. You've gotten it for your whole life. And that's why I'm so crazy about you. Gwenna Hunter, <laughs> vegansofla.com, Vegans for Black Lives Matter on Facebook. And sign up at CompassionConsortium.org. And you can hear her again at the end of May 2021. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio. And everybody, God bless you. Eat your veggies. <laughs>